Welcome to the Church 2060 Podcast. I'm Mike Brewer. Thank you so much for listening. This is the fifth and final episode of the series titled Marked Urgent, where we talk about things that are urgently needed to be addressed in the church. Normally, the approach I take on these podcasts is I look at things from the arbitrary year of 2060, where I would be retired or grandfathering something, looking back on my ministry and wondering how I left it, if I left it in better shape than I found it. Or I would take simple issues in the church that need to be addressed and wonder and look back and say, did I leave those issues in better condition than the way that I found them? But for this series, I decided to take a different approach because coming out of this pandemic, Most pastors are finding themselves looking around, wondering what happened. Wondering, will we get back to normal? What will normal look like? Why aren't people coming back to church? What will the future look like? This certainly isn't what I signed up for. This certainly isn't what the last 10 years of my ministry look like. I don't know if I can do this. And if you're being honest and you're a church leader, you've had some of those thoughts or all of them. And I believe it's time we take a look at areas of the church that need to be addressed. And I chose five issues in the church that urgently needed addressed. We've talked about money. We've talked about how the average church in the United States spends 90% of its budget on payrolls and buildings and 10% or less on taking care of the community and how that urgently needs to change, especially if we expect people to be part of a church when they know that's how the money is being spent. We talked about the urgent need to let people engage in ministry, to make disciples and let those disciples go out and make other disciples and release them to do their work. And I'm not talking about being a greeter and I'm not talking about being a preacher. I'm talking about disciple-making, making disciples who make disciples. I've talked about the church in Asia and how we urgently need to pay attention to what they're doing because they are the fastest-growing church in the world. What are they doing? Why does it work? Why are they doing it even though they're getting killed and put in prison for it? Today, I want to talk about an urgent need in the church. And that urgent need is for the church to abide. Yes, there is a very urgent need for the church to make abiding a priority. Why, you ask? Well, because the Western church is far more worried about everyone else's sins than its own. They might be asking, Mike, what does that have to do with abiding? Well, we will get there. But first, I want to take a look at what the church in the West is known for, what our current reputation is. And I'll be honest, I'm not really going to talk about the good things that we're known for, right? Because if I was talking about the good things, there wouldn't be a problem that needed to be addressed. There wouldn't be issues that need urgent attention. So while, yes, there are some good things the church is known for, I contend that most of what we're known for are not necessarily flattering things. For instance, 
we're very much known for taking our political agenda and making sure that it becomes law. In other words, our platform has become mostly pushing our agenda on other people. The the belief that we are a Christian nation and we need laws that support that. That's what we're known for. Our freedom of religion. The same freedom that allows other people not to participate in religion or be whatever religion they are. We say, this is what we believe and we want that to be what everyone has to take part in. In other words, we want to tell people what they can and can't do legally as well as morally, and we want to try to legislate righteousness. Now, good or bad, whether you believe this is a Christian nation or not, that's the perception. And perception can be reality. In this case, more often than not, the reality is we've we've taken what should be handled spiritually and we're trying to push it legally. That's one of the things we're well known for. We're also well known for mirroring the image we get from the people that we call enemies. In other words, we are quick to get into fights. If someone says something that we disagree with or says something negative about us, we are quick to fight back, whether that's in person or on Facebook or picketing something or telling people they're going to hell. We are quick to fight. That is the Western Church. We are known for having images and sound bites of our pastors on TV, yelling and screaming and saying that Democrats are evil, vile, terrible people and they are going to hell. That's what, that's what we're known for, okay? That may be a small percentage of pastors. But it's happening. And people hear it. Well, if you've ever listened to me before, you know that I'm eventually going to to quote Jesus or tell you something that Jesus said. And today is no different. During the Sermon on the Mount, which Jesus had a lot to say during, Jesus said this. He said, For us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Now, I get, as soon as I say that, I understand that is one of the hardest things for a person to do under any circumstance is to love your enemy and pray for the people that persecute you. It is. How do you do that, right? We can't even manage to do that as people on Facebook. We can't even we can't even take the moment to not start a fight on Facebook or engage in the fight that's already existing on Facebook. That's just that's just who we are. It's it's our base urge to do the opposite of love our enemies. Okay? I get it. I struggle with that terribly. But I'm going to make it a little bit worse. I make it a little bit harder, right? I know this hasn't been a very positive podcast so far, and it may not be at all. It may not get there. 
I don't know how this one's going to turn out yet. But when Jesus said, love your enemies, he chose a specific word for love. In the New Testament, there's a handful of different words for, for love. He chose agape. And you may pronounce that a little bit different than I do. But I'm fine with it. I'm fine with agape, okay? Now, agape has a broad definition. But to simplify it, which isn't as much for you as it is for me, a simplified way of defining agape is the full love that God has for us, the sacrificial love, the selfless love, the servant love that God has for us. He tells us to have for our enemies. How does that work? How do we get there? How am I supposed to love an enemy the way God loves me, the way God loves Jesus? How does that work? Number one, who does that? Number two, how does that work? Well, I know how. Even though I'm not good at it. Even though I have a lot of trouble with it. Even though I don't even really believe that we're persecuted in the United States. I do think that we believe we are. I do think that we definitely have enemies. Even if we created them ourselves, they are there. And if some of them are perceived, they're still there. But we definitely do have enemies. And that's where abiding comes in. Jesus said to abide in him. He didn't say that because he's lonely. He didn't say it because he's bored. He didn't say it because he needed someone to play Monopoly with. He didn't say it because he lost his fidget spinner. He said, abide in him and you will bear much fruit. Your translation may say it a little bit differently. But either way, abide in him and you will bear much fruit. Now, I've talked about abiding before, but if the word abide trips you up, you could say remain in Jesus. If that trips you up, you could say spend time with Jesus. That's it. It's that simple. Spend time with Jesus and you will bear much fruit. Now, this fruit we're talking about is not works. We're not talking about going out and taking the hill for Jesus, okay? We're not talking about getting on the bullhorn and see how many converts we can get. We're talking about love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. Those are the things we're talking about. If we ever want to be able to say we can love an enemy, we have to be a people that can love, that can have joy, and that can have peace and who can actually have self-control. Self-control with our tongues. Self-control with the words that come out of our mouth. Self-control with the anger that comes from when we hear our enemy say something that's gonna set us off. We have to have self-control and the only way we get that is by spending time with Jesus. 
We only get that by abiding with Jesus. People, listen, hear me. The church in America seriously needs to abide. If we ever plan to get back to a place where we love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. If we want to get to a place where we actually love our enemies and actually are praying for the people that persecute us, we have to abide. As a church, we have to abide. As a church leadership team, we have to abide. It has to be done. I've been in a lot of churches. Too many. But I've been in a handful lately. And there's one common theme amongst the churches. You're going to hear from people who want to talk politics at church. Good or bad, right or wrong. I have nothing, I have no problem with someone talking politics at church. What I do see as a huge problem is when vile things instantly come out of a person's mouth because they don't like our president. When they start saying horrible things about a person and attack his person because he's on the opposite side of the aisle, because he's not pushing our agenda forward, because he's not displaying Christian values, people are saying vile things about him. Now, I am not here to defend him. In fact, most of the time I don't pay attention to what he's doing, which is my problem. But if we can't show self-control, if we can't show love towards this guy at a church service, whether it's before or after, it doesn't matter, you're in the lobby, you're at a gathering of believers, and we cannot show self-control with the words that come out of our mouth about one guy, then we have a desperate need for spending time with Jesus. We have a desperate need to have the fruit of the Spirit be displayed in our lives. I can't be a person of peace if I'm always angry because someone disagrees with me. I can't be filled with joy if I'm always mad because I think the president is an idiot. I can't have any self-control if instantly nasty things come out of my mouth when someone mentions any person's name. I can't. I want to give you another example. At our house church service this morning, a good friend of mine said this. He said, how many people do you think are praying right now for Vladimir Putin to come to know God? How many people do you think are actually praying for Vladimir Putin? And how many people do you think are praying for him, but for him to be taken out? or for him to be removed from power or killed. How many people do you think are praying for that? And we agreed that the overwhelming majority, if anyone was praying for him to know God, was slim pickings. But that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about taking someone who is actually an enemy, someone who would be an enemy of the faith, and praying for them. Why? Because Jesus said to love our enemies. 
pray for Vladimir Putin, not for him to be removed from power. I mean, you could pray for that too, but to actually pray that he comes to know God. How many people after 9-11 prayed that we would find Osama bin Laden and that he would be murdered or killed, whatever you want to call it? A lot, okay? And I understand. Two people in my family went to war in that situation. I've had nights where my son was taken to the hospital and I didn't know if he was going to make it. And I had nights where all I thought about was, I wish those people trying to kill my son would die. But that's not Jesus. That's not the heart of Jesus. Do you think anybody was praying that, God, please let Osama bin Laden come to know you. Let him come to a place where he knows you and we forgive him for what he's done. Who was praying for that? Probably nobody in the United States. But that's what's at stake here. If we as a church want to be known for anything besides trying to legislate our own righteousness, besides trying to tell other people what they can and can't do, besides trying to tell other people what their sin is and to become more like us or to change before they can join us, if we want to be known for any other things besides those, and again, I know the church does good things, but if we want to be known for something besides those things as a whole, We desperately need to abide in Jesus. We desperately need to spend time with Jesus because until we start showing the fruit of the Spirit, until people start seeing love and joy and peace and gentleness and kindness and self-control in us, it's really arrogant of us to think that those people would want to join us. It's really interesting that we would think that the church should be booming when we want people to act like us, or I'm sorry, when we want people to ignore how we're acting and become part of what we're doing. It's really hard for me to imagine. The need is urgent. Spending time with Jesus is not hard. Abiding is not hard. Carving out part of your day to spend with Jesus is not hard. Praying that Jesus would change you into someone who's filled with his love and his joy and his peace is not hard. But we have to be intentional and we have to actively pursue it and we have to take time and spend it with Jesus. The need is urgent. Thank you.